De Maupassant's candor would cause her dismay. The Brontes are grander, but not very gay. Her taste is much blander, I'm sorry to say, but is Hans Christian Andersen ever risque? So that's a little night music. And I was privileged enough to, to play Frederick in college, you know, in college, right? Yeah. So now I will be for like 40 years waiting to get older. And I just, so if I'm doing a musical, I'm going to do musical warm-ups, obviously, singing warm-ups. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing something with a lot of text, I'm going to use this warm-up. And I probably always use this warm-up, whether, you know, I, whatever, I'm getting ready, I'm doing whatever. Also, I will say that just a side note that if I'm working on a show with a lot of yelling, I, I get hired a lot to be like the guy that yells at everyone or the guy <laughs> that gets yelled at. Or sometimes in the same, like when I did Phantom, it was like, he's the guy in charge of a lot of people, except for the people that are in charge of him. Mm. <laughs> and so, so if I'm doing that, then I have a whole set of kind of yelling warm-ups uh, that allow my throat not to constrict when mm. I'm doing a show like if I'm playing John Adams in 1776 or something like that, that needs to be so commanding, but I need to do it eight times a week and not blow out my voice. So this one is a thing that makes my mouth work, like it's technical. Welcome back to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. This is a podcast where we speak with a variety of creatives about their finding artistic paths. In this episode, we talk with Michael Thomas Holmes about his dual path as an actor and a graphic designer. If you have a friend who's interested in pursuing more than one artistic career, do them a favor and share this episode with them. They'll learn something new and get some tips on how to take the next steps. So let's hop into it. I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right outside of D.C., just north of D.C. We grew up going to theater. My mother and father grew up in New York. My mother grew up seeing theater all the time, seeing Broadway. My mother's family had a great tradition of going to the theater, going to Broadway, seeing great shows. So in D.C., you know, you can see great touring shows. You can there's a there's a great regional theater market there. And I think one of the first shows, big shows that I saw was the national tour. I think the first national tour. Am I crazy about this? I don't know. Timing of Annie. Mm -hmm. And my, my mother, I think my mother turned to me afterwards and I had this look on my face and she said, Michael, do you think you could do that? I think I was like 10 and something like that. And, mm -hmm. and my answer was like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was like matter of fact. Yeah. yeah why not? Like, yeah. Is that color red? Yeah. <laughs> like as in you wanted to be able to do it or you were just saying like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll take the challenge. I think I took it for the question, which was, mm. do you think you could do something like that? And I said, yeah, I think probably I was just like, I can do that. My mother loves to tell the story, but this is the real story of how art showed up in my life, which is when I was, I believe is one and a half years old, I was downstairs in the rec room and my mother comes down you know like turned around and saw that on the wall i had drawn this huge for for me for a kid for a tiny kid this huge fish in crayon on the wall and my mm. mother was like michael what are you oh that's very good <laughs> she was like on one hand wow she was upset but on the other hand she was like that's that's a pretty good looking fish and so while she was cleaning that off, I ended up <laughs> crawling out the front door into the street. And my oh mother, my like, freaked out, ran and picked me up and got me. Obviously, it turned out okay, because here I am. 
And she always says, that was the day that I knew that you were an actor and a graphic designer. You know, if she thinks back, she knows that art was in my, my <laughs> template. My template was art, you know, mm -hmm. because those two things presented themselves like the kind of the, the, the fearlessness of kind of the drama of that last part and the artistic visual artness that I also show. So that's where she says that she do it. <laughs> in short, then, when I got older in high school, I went to the Magnet Visual Art Program in Montgomery County in Maryland. And then from there, I jumped to WashU in St. Louis for graphic design, to major in graphic design. While I was there, I also studied theater. You know, the reason I, one of the reasons I went there is because the art school is phenomenal at WashU in mm. St. Louis. But also, the theater department, at least certainly at the time that I was there, totally solid. I could get voice lessons so I could do the things that I wanted to do. I never really wanted to dance. I now am a strong mover. I really kind of got into that more in grad school. So then after I graduated with a, a major in graphic design and a minor in theatrical performance, then I went directly to grad school at UC Irvine for for those that don't know the mascot is the anteater the mm -hmm. fearsome anteater zot, zot, so zot. fearsome yeah fearsome so i went there for an mfa in acting and the reason you know i do a lot of musicals and i love musicals but when some kids were learning like when my brother was learning sports facts. I also collected baseball cards. I love that stuff, but they would not really stick in my head. What did stick in my head were like, oh, the original cast of Take Me Along on Broadway. Don Amici was in that. You know, like these factoids about musical theater would stick in my head. And I felt like I had a natural affinity for musicals, but because I didn't study it so much in college, I didn't have the technical know-how and uh, of the the bones of acting. And so, what I what I like to say is, I went into grad school. I remember my essay was to be a comedic entertainer. That was my essay. Mm. I think I still have it. I might still have it. <laughs> I don't know where it is. <laughs> but then I left an actor, like being you know with all the skills that I needed to pull apart a script, and then mm. it just grounded the musical theater work into a sense of reality. And so it was kind of a gambit of not going to musical theater school or grad school, but I think it paid off because it allowed all the musical theater stuff to be grounded. So it sounds like you pursued a lot of different variety of arts in your time. Is there a reason why you didn't stick with just one? Did you find fulfillment in doing a variety of different things? I will go back to something my mother once said, which I thought was just so brilliant because it really does sum it up. You know, sometimes you need an outside eye to tell you what are you actually about. I once asked my mother, I think it was in grad school, I think like first year of grad school, second year of grad school. Why have you supported me to be a graphic designer and an actor? Like, why, mm -hmm. why would you do that? <laughs> what would you do? And she had two responses to me. She said, well, your father and I know that you are genuinely gifted in both of those things. And it's not just us. We've asked your professors. We've seen the reviews. We've watched you. But we believe that you are genuinely gifted in those things. And she said, the second reason is that if you were genuinely gifted in anything else, we would have pushed you that way. But you're not. <laughs> did, did you try to be gifted in other things? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, it, it doesn't mean that I'm like 
uh, you know, I'm using this uh, in heavy quotes, stupid. I'm saying that like I had a B plus average. I did so many extracurriculars. I, you know, I, I, in college, I co-founded and ran a comedy improv group that is still there. Mama's pot roast. Woohoo. And, huh. and I was in the <laughs> acapella singing group and like, I just did so, you know, I ran a bi-weekly student cabaret called the no particular order. I mean, I, I did that also in grad school. I did so many things, but wow. like I had a lot of trouble with tests. And honestly, if you go way back in the old days, the SATs didn't have essays. They literally added them the year after me, and I would have done much better if I had an essay. Instead, my SAT scores, I'm just going to say, what's the word sucked? Sucked is the word. <laughs> Those scores sucked. And so I, you know, I went early decision to wash you because that's where I wanted to go anyway, and they were offering it to me. And so it's not that I can't do basic math or I, or I don't like science. I do like science. You know, I don't like math. No, I don't like math. I'm not very good at math, but my, my brother is the head of the math program at his school. My dad is a research statistician. My mother is a member of Mensa and I am an artist. <laughs> I'm an I artist. I mean, that's, you know, I'm a actor, graphic designer, mover, singer, playwright. I'm trying to think. You know, I'm probably a couple other things, but, you know, those are my modes and that's that's what I go with. So real quick, before we jump into talking a little bit more about all those other pieces of your life, what's your position on nature versus nurture? I don't know. I, I guess I have spent a lot of my life getting out of my own way. I think a lot of us do. Those of us that like technology, I like my computer, I like my iPhone, I like watching TV shows occasionally, you know, I like being in a world in which I, you know, interact with those things, not just those things, but people, you know, I don't live on a mountaintop uh, meditating, although I do and have meditated and write my journal and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think probably it was both, right? So my parents saw that I was really good at those two things, like excelled at those things and pushed me towards those things, urged me towards those things, supported me towards those things and anything art related. When I was a kid, they certainly put me into sports. I hated it. I was bad at it. I have since learned, by the way, that I have hypermobile joints that has answered like a lot of issues from why I wasn't good at sports in the beginning. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy. It's like, how come I'm not accurate when I kick the soccer ball? Mm. Oh, because my ankle doesn't stop right. So now I know <laughs> yeah. that like when I go to a dance call, I wear ankle braces to just help me like switch my weight faster. You know, these are things that you Smart. learn when you're older. Yeah. Um, <laughs> such as the way, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just something right. I have to take into account. I do sometimes wonder if I had found that out when I was a kid, if they would just become excuses though. So things mm -hmm. happen the way they're supposed to happen. So I would say that they urged me towards those things. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, you know, somewhere in my early 30s, I kind of started really getting out of my own way. And which is, you know, kind of uh, talking and reacting is kind of the essence of acting here, right? So yeah. that helped my acting and that helped all kinds of stuff. So I would say it's both maybe in this case. Yeah, maybe it's both. Although you can see that there is a bunch of art in my family, right? So my parents both are singers. They both did community theater 
growing up, I still remember my mother's performance as Golda in Fiddler at the, you know, in the in, in the cafeteria at my elementary school. I mean, I don't even know how old I was, eight, something wow. like that. My dad was the rabbi in that production. He was hilarious as well. But I just remember my mother being so good. Mm. And it was a really amazing thing to get them out to uh, Pioneer Theater Company to see me play Tevya three years ago. So that was like an amazing thing to get kind of full circle-ish, mm-hmm. you know. And then my uncle... I kid you not, was a rocket scientist for NASA, but also was a visual artist. So we have a bit, you know, at at home, we have this big, what is it called? Pastels of a mountain that he did. So yes, so there's definitely the nature in my family. And then there's the nurture that also came from my family, I would say, Mm. and from people around. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you took it that way because everything that you said in that last portion of kind of the response to that question is kind of right in line with the thesis that Melody and I had for a really long time where the arts have an impact on the rest of your life and people that pursue the arts just solely have a lot of growth and development in their general life but Mm. then also people that are part of the arts and pursue the arts kind of as an extra thing or just kind of naturally do it have an affinity to the way that they approach their work that kind of makes them by pursuing the arts or doing additional things on top of the work that they do that maybe doesn't directly relate back to like an artistic or creative life really fulfills a way of of getting people to the next level of kind of achieving what what they're looking for in their life. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, of course, discussing kind of an outside idea, which is arts is disposable. Like, you know, the first thing to get cut is the arts. Like that's yes. yep. the first thing that's cut in programs because they think it's disposable or, or it's not. It's not as helpful as other things. Yeah. It's not as, I guess, easily like seen as applicable to the, the bones of society. I, I, mm. I'm not sure I'm explaining that correctly, but I'm saying like, if you need to build a building, you're going to need an architect, you're going to need engineers, you're going to need uh, a, a lot of math, science, you're going to need a lot of that stuff. But if you want to make that building not look like a white prison on the inside, you know, you're going to need designers. But because it's later in the building chain, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I get, I get it actually about that but i would say that and and you know i would give a uh, a perfect example of what you're talking about which is in college i was in a compulsing group as i said called the pikers washu pikers they're still in existence which is fantastic it's an all-male acapella group that was the tradition meaning like i like all acapella it doesn't have to be all male it happened to be at the time and it was basically a fraternity of guys from all over campus all kinds of majors who liked to sing and sang uh stuff that we all liked to sing at that point it was a lot of 80s stuff although i suspect a lot of it is still 80s stuff to be honest and and those guys I'm still friends with a lot of them, you know, I mean, like one guy was the soloist for Bohemian Rhapsody, Jeff, and he, he wailed it. And he is a stockbroker, you know, he's a money manager. And I I have absolutely no doubt that by being in that group, it allowed him to be who he was artistically. And he now, his communication skills, I better through the roof because he feels comfortable, you know, being a little bit 
you know, less restrained, I guess I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, more like seeing the artistic benefits of stuff. And so we had a pre-med and we had a engineer who were kind of the major arrangers, you know, like one of them did a Robbie Neville song from the 80s, but like set it up with this really interesting intro that was very dramatic, actually. And then the other guy arranged Comfortably Numb and Goodbye Blue Sky from Pink Floyd, which is super dramatic song. Like, Mm. you're not going to, you know, I mean, you can do it, but who would ever think of necessarily doing that for an acapella group? And sure, sure enough, that song has lasted through like decades in the acapella group. Goodbye, Blue Sky. It's such a good arrangement and so dramatic. And the basses go down so low and shake the rafters. <laughs> and like people are like, oh, gosh. And that was a engineer who arranged that. So again, I've just talked a lot, but it basically gets back to your <laughs> point is it's a fully rounded point of view. Those guys got a fully rounded point of view, whether they like to or not. It's not really you... Don't really describe it as a side hustle because it's, you know, it's a full-time job as well. But along with all of your performing, tell us about it. I am super privileged and I would say lucky, but I have to say that, like, I feel like it's one of the things I am just meant to do, which is graphic design. And I had a teacher at the Visual Arts Center in Maryland who is from Arkansas, and uh, his name was Orun Orun. Eugene Barnes. I kid you not. Orun, O-R-O-O-N. And he was a graphic designer and a painter. And he he once said to me in class, in front of everybody, he does he did this all the time. It was a little unnerving. But he said, Mike, Mike, let me tell you something. When you work on a project that you love, it's one of the best projects I've ever seen. When you work on something that you don't like, it's the most god-awful phoned-in piece of crap I ever seen. And then he, like, walked away. And he and he <laughs> was so right, first of all. And then the second thing, he was like, you're a designer. You're a graphic designer. You're like me. I brought in one project. It was an um, advertisement I did. We had to illustrate these things, these famous idioms, right? So it was like a stitch in time saves, saves nine or don't need any, any yellow snow. I, I picked mine, which was the sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever so you can rest medicine. So that is the thing that I chose to illustrate. And I made mm. a deck of cards in a circle, kind of drew it in a circle of face cards. And all of the face cards had those ailments, sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever. And so you can rest medicine was the ace. And that was NyQuil. Mm. And he looked at it. And I remember I was I stayed up so late to finish it because I had to be precise. And he looked at it and he said, Mike, you're a graphic designer. I mean, you're basic. You just. You solved this whole problem. You're in advertising. Like, I was like, okay, (laughs) I guess so. But he's, he was exactly right. I totally agreed with him. So for me, being a graphic designer, again, I'm privileged to have another job that I get to do that I love doing. I love doing it. I like to joke, I'm an excellent single tasker. I am so good (laughs) at single tasking, man. (laughs) Multitasking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, there are a lot of arguments that say like, nobody's good at multitasking. But (laughs) I would say particularly, I love working on a project, you know, whether that's acting, whether that's graphic design, playwriting, you know, like I I love working on something. And so I can work for hours on a project. I love being up late at night and working on these projects because I just 
put on some music or a podcast. And before I know it, you know, one to two hours, three hours has passed by. So that that is the other thing I do. So for example, if you go to michaelthomasholmes.com, you'll see a choice to go to actor or graphic designer. If you're looking to hire me as a graphic designer, you can go to mtholmesdesign.com. And that'll take you directly to the design side because, you know, what just I've learned and I've learned with clients over time is that if they're, you know, not in the arts industry, any arts industry, they really want a direct door to the design. It doesn't mean that my design needs to be less artistic. It means that they're like, wait, he's an actor and he's also a graphic designer. And because I think what I learned early on is that that balance of those two is difficult to strike for people, I think. Mm. And for me, it's the two things I do. So that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, I do other things as well. But some people just want you to have one hat. (laughs) Yeah, some people don't, you know, frequently when people have questions, they're not asking you the real question. They're asking from their own perspective, they don't understand how it's possible. So they're asking you the question. For me, I just take that question out, right? Because the question really is, how do you do both things? And the answer is, I do both things. <laughs> like, that's it. But yeah. really what they're asking is, I don't understand how I would do two things like you're doing and give credence to both of them, those mm-hmm. two primary things. And the answer for me is, I just do. Like, I don't have any question about it. So that's why I give them a, a direct door. Or if you're from the arts and you go through that other door, they love it, right? Like, do you think right. a director is going to go like, they saw me in a room, they go to my website and they go, oh, he's a graphic designer. Hmm. I think that's too artistic for us. <laughs> yep. No. Right. They're going to be yeah. like, oh, great. He's well-rounded. Awesome. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. People are, are looking sometimes for really specialized people to approach for certain things, whereas there yeah. are certain aspects of people are like, oh, I'd rather have somebody that's well-rounded and can approach multiple things mm. from different perspectives. And it gives you kind of the edge in that sense. So with, with your uh, graphic design, what type of projects are you typically taking on? I basically love all kinds of designs, but I, I primarily work with artists because if I book something, they understand a little bit more that like, oh, we might have to shift this meeting to another day, you know, Mm -hmm. or this material might have to be due this time rather than this because they understand more. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't work overnight and fix it. But, you know, if you're in tech week and I'm working on a on a graphics project, I, I have to get rest because frequently in regional theater, you don't get understudies. And I like doing shows, so I don't want to miss a show. <laughs> so right. rest is important. But I also love to do kind of something that you have uh, hit upon here, which is I love to work with people who are not necessarily seeming like artists, but do something that brings out the artistic nature of people, right? So I've worked with a lot of actors. I work doing websites. So I do website design. I do logo design. I do poster design. I do, I used to do CD covers. Now we don't really have CDs too much. Mm. So (laughs) that's neither here nor there, but I would, you know, if it came along, digital booklets and stuff like that. So I work with actors and directors. I've worked with playwrights. I've worked with teachers. And then a couple of years ago, I worked with a speech therapist. And what I loved about her work is that she is working with a pediatric speech therapist. She's working with kids. So swallowing techniques, but also speech techniques. And that is art, right? I mean, that's 
getting the kid to speak the art of language mm -hmm. and specifically the way that she works is an artistic way. She showed me pictures. She's like, this is like art in somebody who works in medicine. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then this year I'm working on a big website that is a group of therapists in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm super excited about it because, you know, the challenge is different, but it's the same, right? It's, it's right. how do you sell this business for everything and every aspect that they can be in a professional way. And who, who are the people that are going to utilize their skills there? So then you're talking about the viewers, you're talking about who you're selling to. It's all advertising. It's mm -hmm. just in a different direction because I have a little theory, which is that I believe that your website can be exactly you. Now we're going off on a tangent, but uh, but this is like <laughs> my little my little phrase about anybody who has a website, which is just make sure that your website represents who you are in energy. I don't have to build it. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> I have a little saying, which is, if I'm not right for your show, don't cast me. I'm really okay with that. We're, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll meet in another place. We'll, we'll work on another, another show, another project. I'll always, even in graphic design, like if I know a better match, if I interview with you, and if I know a better match, or if I think you can build it yourself, totally. Like I have other options in which you're not building a whole site. Anyway. I was once a reader in an audition about six years ago, and this guy comes in, and he killed it. Oh, he was so good. He was so good. And he leaves, and the director turns to the casting director and says, who is that? I've never seen him before. And then the next person comes in, and during that person's audition, the casting director brought up that person's website in the room, the yeah. last person. And so that next person left. And she turned her computer in the room to the director and said, here he is. And I started, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, what if that website sucks? What if that website does not represent that person? What if it's like, if it has errors on it? What if it's not proofed? Because what those things do is it advertises on like a subconscious level, this person is not, might not be the person I want to work with. But what if that site has the energy of that person? What if that site feels like that person? Well, then that director, I have this phrase, which is that a, a website confirms people's suspicion about you in the positive. That's what it can do best. And what if it confirmed that person's suspicion? He, had, he killed it in that audition. And he was like, yeah, that's the person. That's great, right? So that's the way that I see websites. And I believe that all websites can represent the person or the product perfectly. And I have ways to do that, that uh, we would literally be going off on way too long a tangent. So let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think you've got a really interesting perspective on that for sure. But that's really awesome to hear. Thanks, man. Yeah. So to finish off our shows, we have these closing questions that we ask everyone. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear what your responses are to them. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to be serious about it then. What is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? I guess the way I would answer that is how people, you know, at talkbacks after shows, I would say eight times out of 10, you get a parent who says, what would be mm -hmm. your advice about a student who wants to pursue the arts? And a lot of performers want to say, if you can do anything else, do that. And I would not say that because I think if you really want to pursue the arts, you have to do it. I, I think you have to do it. But what I would say is if there's anything else you like other than the arts, also take a class in that 
or read about that, right? And the reason you do that is because if you go to pursue the arts and you don't actually pursue it because, you know, for whatever reason, you don't actually pursue it, there will be a sadness in you that will be hard to reconcile. This is a theory. I'm just saying that. So I think you have to go for it. However, I think if there's anything you like as well, if you go to college and they have an astronomy course and you love astronomy, study astronomy. If you're good at math and you also like the arts, study math, go as far as you can. If you can study anything else, go do that, you know, because you never know when you're pursuing the arts, when one of those extra skills will come in handy. This might sound weird, but if you're really good at TikTok, like study the the inner workings of how to run a TikTok account because mm -hmm. maybe you can be hired to run TikTok accounts. You can do that anywhere. Totally. You can do that while you're yeah. waiting to audition. If you're good at math, learn QuickBooks. The difference between earning $15 an hour and $20 an hour, $25 an hour is huge in New York. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I would say. What keeps you up at night? Oh, good. In general terms... We live in a world now that is segmented and separated. This is not political, this comment. I think it is a culture that was built, that has kind of built on the, the technologies that have come across. You know, you can watch things in your home. You can be on your phone in LA. You're in the car all the time, right? You're separated a lot. We're separated a lot. And in order to see people before this, you know, the internet, basically, you would have to go to things or call them on the phone, right? I mean, basic comments, but that's what it is. So now you can see everything at home. You can only talk to the people you need to talk to or want to talk to via Facebook or Instagram or anything. So we live in a segmented world. And I think we have to really find ways to connect, to weave together all points of view. You, you know, doing 1776 twice, I've actually done three times. That's a musical that I've done three times, three different roles, three different <laughs> times of my life. And, you know, that script is amazing. I know it's a play, but that script is unbelievable. It's by Peter Stone, who also wrote Titanic and multiple other things. Peter Stone was amazing. And one of the things he, he gets the tone so wonderfully uh, with is the arguments. You know, we're allowed to argue in this world and we're allowed to disagree. Just because you disagree with somebody does not make them a bad person. You know, bad person, I'm going to put in quotes because right. bad person for one person is one point of view is not the same. Something extreme that might make, you know, attacking people that doesn't necessarily right. <laughs> make them a bad person, right? That's what is the reason? Why are they doing that? But if you just, not just on that level, but if you just dismiss people because they disagree with what you believe, you are, are missing a chunk of how to see the world. It doesn't mean that sometimes you need to just move forward, you know, or make, make decisions or do what's best, quote unquote. But I think that what keeps me up at night if it does, is we have to find a way to weave together this world again. I, I, you, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not saying to come back together. I'm not using the word back because I do not think we can go back. I think we have to weave together in a way that maybe we don't know what that is.
So our last question, you've kind of touched on ways that you can do this in the past conversation, but to somebody who might be interested in pursuing the arts while still working a nine to five or, you know, has no idea how to start, what advice would you give? I heard one of your guests say, take a class. I think that's true. I mean, I would just say anything you like, follow that. If you like film, study film. Do you like photography? Study photography. If you like photography, you can get an iPhone. If you have an iPhone, take some pictures. If you like taking pictures, go on the library of our world, which is the internet, <laughs> and take an online course or like see how they talk about composition. How do you set up composition? How do you balance the light and shadows? What about the aperture of the shot? You know, things like that. I would say just follow your instinct about what you'd like to do. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Michael on his website, michaelthomashomes.com, or on Instagram at MT to the Homes or Moving In with Murray. MT to the Homes. Uh, Michael's information and more details about the interview can be found on our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. If you like the conversation, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Happy Mother's Day, Mother. I love you, Mom. Thanks for getting this far. I love you. <laughs>